Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive. Mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. Today, we've got an amazing speaker and guest who we've wanted to have on the show for a long time, Dr. Tina Moore. And she came on, we really wanted to talk with her about the concept of metabolic health, which is just really when it comes down to it, keeping your system and your metabolism in the best shape possible, actually is super, super important, obviously for so many things, but especially currently in this environment, important for your immune health. And she's been really passionate about this since day one of COVID on, okay, everyone, this is time for us to like pay attention to the health of our bodies and exercise and eat well, and like make your body the most resilient as possible. Because as we all know, the people kind of getting the sickest have poor metabolic health. And it's really interesting in the start of COVID, she got a lot of flack for saying that, but now it's really panning out, you know, every week that goes by, it's more and more true, um, that that's so important. So we wanted to take a dive with her on what metabolic health is, how people can optimize her thoughts on things like fasting and working out and all that. Yeah. I loved how she actually gave a lot of just really, easy things that people can do every day to optimize their metabolic health. And Mm -hmm. even just like cold therapy or heat therapy and, you know, just different, different things that people can do. It's a lot of it has to do with optimizing your blood sugar, keeping your fasting insulin low. Um, we definitely chatted a ton about, um, the current state of everything in the world. And while she's actually pretty moderate with her views on a lot of things. She's very, very passionate about this subject. And so, um, and you can just tell, and you can, you can tell she's been in the industry working on this with people for a very long time. So I feel like you guys will have a lot that you can learn from Mm -hmm. this episode about how to maximize not just your immune system through it, but everything else that a stable metabolic system has to offer for your body. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dr. Tina lives in wine country. So we thought the perfect partner today would be dry farm wine, who I personally also love. Um, I just got my shipment in last week and it is super good quality wine. You could do red, white, rosé. You can do a mix. They even had like orange wine for fall. I don't know know what that's all about, but, um, (laughs) so staggeringly scary statistic is that there are 76 legal additives that you are allowed to put into wine in the United States. And that's why so many people feel like garbage after they drink wine. And this is no sugar, lower alcohol, no additives. Um, it's just amazing. We actually interviewed the CEO of dry farm. It was one of my favorite episodes to date. If you want to check that out, 
and learn more about it. So you can use our link below and you actually get an extra bottle of wine for a penny. No brainer. So enjoy guys. And um, we hope you learn a lot from this one. All right, everyone, welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. We're super excited for our guest today, Dr. Tina Moore, Um, her first time on the podcast, and she has so much wisdom to share. So welcome, Dr. Tina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to finally connect. Yes, of course. So to start out, we'd love for you to just introduce yourself to our audience for those that don't know you. Sure. So uh, I'm Dr. Tina Moore. I am a naturopathic physician and a chiropractor. I live in Oregon. I, uh, let's see, my practice was predominantly focused on regenerative injection therapies. And I did that for over a decade. And then I left practice a few years ago because I oddly knew that this shit storm was coming and I did not want to have my income be contingent on practice. So I, around 2015 started working on an online business and has, I've grown it since. And a couple of years ago, I left practice, um, in clinical care altogether and just did, I coach doctors in business and marketing. I have an online presence. I educate the public and how to be more resilient. I have a supplement line, I have a podcast. And so that's really where my focus went. And I was grateful because, you know, as of a few days ago in Oregon, or actually in a few days in Oregon, anybody who is uh, seeing patients in person who does not comply with a mandate will be in trouble. So my, wow. yeah, my psychic abilities were, yeah. <laughs> they were right on. <laughs> I told my assistant, I've had the same assistant for like seven and a half years now. And I told her that this was something like this was coming, joking about the zombie apocalypse and uh, always telling her like, we got to get out of practice. We got to quit making our money contingent on this because I don't, I don't like what's what I'm seeing. And lo and behold, so my association isn't standing up against it. My board isn't standing up against it here in Oregon. So we're just as you know, all healthcare practitioners are involved in this one in Oregon. You know, I'm a naturopathic doc too. And I was really surprised actually that they weren't making a bigger stink about it. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was, because I was like, this just kind of goes against everything. So everything. Yeah. Everything we stand for. My background is I was mentored up by a great naturopathic doctor named Rick Marinelli. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was, Mm -hmm. he was a huge force in our profession. He is the reason I think we have such a stronghold this, you know, the stronghold that we do, which is shaky, but it's, it's bigger, much bigger than it was when I was working with him. I started as his receptionist in the early nineties and just followed him around for almost 20 years. And then he ended up contracting cancer and, and, uh, he died in 2013 and I took over his practice. So I, you know, I think I I wonder sometimes why I get up every day and like bring the battle to Instagram and bring the battle to wherever I can, because he would be fighting like hell right now. Mm. He he would, he he would fight like hell. And I oddly like, it sounds weird. I don't know if you've lost anyone you're close to, but I'm going to cry. I talked to him probably more now than I did when, you know, we were both so busy towards the end of his life. And every time I try to like put that pulse out of like, what should I do right now? He, I hear back, like fight like hell. So, oh, so well, I fight. that's such great inspiration. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that our profession is in such a dire position right now. Uh, you know, I'm a chiropractor too. And I worry, I mean, of course I worry about them. They can't actually do their art unless they're in person. So, I mean, this is, this is such a huge blow to 
naturopathic and chiropractic medicine mm-hmm. as a whole, I think. I think we're going to see the repercussions. More. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, well, you got me crying just, in the first five yeah. minutes. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I know. I was like, I have lost someone I'm close to. We're like all sobbing. Okay. Right. So let's just, we'll reel it back. And we're just going to, you know, we ask every guest two questions that come on our podcast. Um, so this whole podcast was kind of just developed on the premise of, we just love to drink our different varieties of coffee with our favorite people and talk about our favorite topics. So what is your current drink of choice? Uh, well, if you'd asked me before sober October, I would tell you red wine. <laughs> sober October. Oh, I know. Well, I live out in wine country. No, my drink of choice for coffee. I like a French roast. I like a dark French roast, just black. That's my, mm. that's always been. And nice. I'm, so my, what I did in practice was predominantly regenerative injection medicines. And I, you know, there's a lot of needles being going into people's body parts. And so I'm always, I have a joke that you never, I never drink someone else's coffee before I have to inject because you never know what kind of shakes you're going to get. Yeah. I need, I need a steady hand. So I have, I found that a dark French roast, I grind the bean, I French press it black. I drink two cups in the morning and about a cup, actually half a cup in the afternoon. And I've done that for gosh, I don't know, 20 years. And if I have to drink more than that, something is wrong with my adrenal glands. That's, that's how there I gauge. It's a good gauge. Yeah. I like that. Um, I have to ask regenerative and what sort of, um, what was your medium for injections? Like do you ozone or prolo so de- dextrose or prolo. prolotherapy predominantly. And then of course, a lot of PRP. I love PRP. I mean, you get, you get someone's platelets out of, you know, you draw their blood, you spin out their platelets and when they're healthy, it's like magic sauce and in the hands of a skilled injector. I mean, you can heal up pretty much anything. Uh, I love prolo. Cause I think prolo is just, it's cost-effective. It's affordable for most patients if you do it well, it's really effective. And so that's actually one of the big ways that I transitioned out of practice is I just started training doc. And I think 2014, 2015, I started training doctors in prolotherapy, other naturopathic doctors. Mm. And so I, you know, every weekend, almost I was doing a workshop of some level for naturopathic doctors. I quit doing that this year. I love it. it you know, Rick taught me that Dr. Rick Marinelli, he was, he's who brought prolotherapy to our profession. And he was really good at it. I became, and I, I kind of developed my own, um, method, if you will, because I'm a chiropractor too. And I think, I I think that the way I do it is, I don't know how to say this. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm better than anyone else, but I took really good. I, I took great pride in being good at it and bringing in my chiropractic hands and my chiropractic training to my injections. And so I feel like I created sort of a hybrid, uh, technique that I loved sharing with other doctors, but in Oregon with the way things were going, most of the NDs around here wanted to like gripe about whether somebody was vaccinated or not. And I mean, the, the NDs in Oregon have really, for the most part, predominantly gone that way. And then on top of it, I wasn't going to wear a mask all day inside of a setting to train people like training people with needles is already dicey because they're nervous. They're getting stuck. They're sticking each other and then add a mask to it. And I was like, I'm going to sit this one out guys. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, that's my limits. So no more pro. So Prolo is sort of my past life. I've got plenty. I live on a farm now with plenty of active people in my life. And there's lots of joints to that get dinged up and damaged that need help. So I keep busy that way, but (laughs) that's awesome. I love all of that. Okay. 
And then what is your latest favorite biohack? My latest, oh, sauna. I, I just want to live in my sauna pretty much. I, I try to go in there. Well, I always go in once a day and I'm trying to debate whether it's safe to do it twice a day because it feels so good. (laughs) It's so good. It's like a little cocoon of, uh, do you guys have a sauna? It's I do. It's life-changing. Yeah. It's life-changing. I mean, I I, pretty life-changing. I've sauntered in the past, but I've never really gotten into it like this. I don't know. I just, there's something about getting that, getting hot and then getting those heat shock proteins going. It's, it fixes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, your zen space. Right, cool. What? Yeah. It's your zen space. Yeah. And it's quiet. It's sort of like a little bit of, um, you know, um, what's, what's the word? Like when you get in a float tank, when you have oh, sensory, sensory deprivation. deprivation. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's just like my quiet little warm cocoon. So Totally. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. I'm digging it. All right. Well, our main focus we'd love to kind of hone in on with you today is metabolic health. Okay. Because I know you're really big on sharing with them social media. And I feel like for, especially for the general public, it's like kind of a really neglected topic. Like people aren't kind of shining a spotlight on it and it's so important. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to just kind of intro that for our listeners what is metabolic health for people that just aren't familiar with that arena? Sure. So the way that I look at metabolic health is, is your metabolism flexible? Meaning when you ingest food, do your biochemical pathways work correctly in that not only are you absorbing, you know, most people think food in poop out, absorb in the, in between. And in my head, I wonder you know, what's happening at the cellular level with insulin resistance with, is the glucose actually making its way into the cell to be utilized? What's happening in the brain? What's this doing to the hormones? Metabolic health to me is the ability to take in your food, predominantly carbohydrates, convert them into usable energy, get them into the cell to be used properly. And then you have the proper cofactors in there to run the Krebs cycle in your mitochondria. And then you, you know, you're optimized that way. And I think that we have a huge problem in this country and it's trickled throughout the world and I'm 47. So I've, I've watched this happen. I've literally watched this unfold. I mean, the rates of obesity have tripled since I was a kid and especially in the U S right. And we're seeing rates of all other kinds of things go up as well, which can be tied back to maternal metabolic health. I mean, you can look at the metabolic health of a a mother who's pregnant and her offspring can suffer from a myriad of conditions due to her blood sugar dysregulation. So I knew when COVID hit that we were in trouble because it seemed to be selectively hitting the hardest those who were obese and diabetic in China. And you could see the studies coming right out at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, uh oh. This is going right. to be a shit show. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't laugh to be trained. It's just like, you know, F and a, like when you, <laughs> when you think about the amount, you know, 88% of Americans are metabolically unsound. So I'm sorry about my wow. background. I've got my dog hopping around in the background. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. And then it just, the biggest concern I had and the panic that I had initially was that we would end up in this never ending cycle where they wouldn't, you know, this lockdown strategy is basically a drawn out letter rip strategy. Oh, I see a cute dog in your little background, Abby. That's right. <laughs> I just had to pop in. <laughs> There's my ADD. I see a dog and I'm like, Oh dog. Yeah. And anyway, 
um, we've got, we've got such a predicament with it that the, the cycle of this will not end because the lockdowns don't, especially in Oregon, we were locked down so hard. It doesn't allow for natural immunity to make its way through. We know that yes, this virus can hit people of all ages and all genders, et cetera, and all sizes, but it is preferentially selecting for those who are frail, sickly and inflamed, right? And metabolic health goes hand in hand with that. Your metabolic health, as Mike Mutzel always says, metabolic health and immune health are two sides of the same coin. So I thought for sure this would be an opportunity for Americans to step up and be like, I'm going to get my shit together. Right. And so I came out blaring with that message and I took a lot of heat for it, which has been such a weird, weird roller coaster ride the past two years, almost two years, right. Just watching everybody completely deny and neglect this huge piece of the puzzle. But we, I don't think we're going to get through it until that is addressed. And I don't know if that will ever be addressed. So I think we are going to continue to see, you know, if you look at Israel this time last year, their hospitalization rates are the same. Their death rates are the same. Their case rates are the same as they were, as they are now. And we've got 50% of the population triple vaxxed in Israel. So is it working? Yes, we're seeing a much, a significantly lower rate of morbidity and death in those who have been triple vaccinated. But overall, is this making an impact on society? I don't, we're not seeing that, right? Those numbers aren't adding up quite yet. So uh, it's a watch and wait scenario, but I, it's very frustrating to watch and wait when we all know, you know, the three of us know that getting your metabolic health in order, isn't that complicated. The impact and the benefits begin almost immediately. And it's just a matter of people wanting to do it. And I, you know, you'd think they'd Absolutely. be scared. You think they'd be scared enough by now, right? Like I just thought people like the real risk of death would maybe inspire people to take action. Yeah. But it's hard when that's not the message they're hearing, right? Right. If the message from media was, Hey, we're going to, the CDC is going to suggest that everyone exercises for 60 minutes a day. And, you know, we're going to have programs so people can have access to fresh, healthy foods. And like, if that was the messaging that was out there, I think people would be way more likely to implement those strategies. Right. Instead, they're like, you don't have to do anything that's hard. All yeah. you have to do is get this new little thing in your arm and that you're great. So it takes and away all that personal responsibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or two. Here's a, and here's a million dollars, maybe yeah. if you enter in this <laughs> raffle. Right. And it, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just wild. And I understand that there is, um, there's just a lot of variables, right? In this country, it's, it's not fair. I want to say like, look at Sweden, Sweden's, Sweden's crushing it. But as my friend, uh, John Kim, Dr. John Kim says, they are a much more homogenous society, right? We're looking at Scandinavian countries right now. Scandinavian countries are sort of just being like, all right, we're just going to act like times are normal. And, And they really, they sort of just like let off restrictions and their rates are of everything are going down and they're doing great, but it's a very homogenous society. We don't have that in the U S we have a lot of um, inequities. We've got food deserts, but I've even looked at, and this math is not exact, but the last time I looked, I, I put into Google, I just said percentage of food deserts in the U S and I put in percentage of, um, poverty in the U S and assuming, which is incorrect, but assuming that everybody who's impoverished in the U S is also living in a food desert, which is incorrect. I live in a food desert. I live in a small rural town where there's literally no food for 20 miles each way. Um, but assuming that all poor people had a food desert scenario, that still only accounts for a mere fraction of the obese people in this country. 
which means that the bulk majority of people who are prone to poor outcomes with this virus can actually do something about it and have the means to do so. Right. And that's, that that's, sense. that's the math, right? So what is it? Laziness? Um, is it, I don't know. I had a lot of adverse childhood events. I had a lot of bad shit happen to me. I don't, that doesn't mean that I, the virus doesn't care. You know, like the virus doesn't care what your, what your reasons are, whether they're legitimate or they're just a lazy Mm -hmm. excuse. Like it doesn't matter. We have to, and it doesn't, this isn't about size, about being thin or not. This is just about having, it's just about what would our grandparents do if everybody were to turn and say like, Hey, if grandma and grandpa were still alive in people's mm-hmm. lives, what would they be saying? They'd be saying, I, I know. Cause I, you guys probably know too. You take care of geriatric patients. The ones that are healthy move every day. Cause they know if they stop, mm-hmm. they're going to die. They know to keep their waistline small. They know it. The minute they catch a little, they don't know anything about insulin or insulin resistance or glucose or glute four receptors. They don't know any of that. They just know that when they start getting a poochy tummy, it's time to dial back the sweets. So it's like common sense somehow completely left society a generation ago. And what we're left with is this, and it's also very weird to me because not to get too woo woo, but like, we're just spiritual beings walking around in a meat suit. So Mm -hmm. To me, that really starts to take gender, race, all of it goes out the door for me because to me, I'm looking at someone as like a spiritual being. I'm looking at their right. light and their vitality. I'm not looking at their skin color or their size or their gender or like what their pronouns are. That to me, it's just, to, you know, and if you are a religious person, which I'm not terrib- terribly religious, but if you are, then you believe God gave you this meat vessel to take care of. So why are we not taking care of it? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It would just, it would make sense if you're going to honor God to honor your vessel as best mm-hmm. as we can, but somehow we've gotten very literal with everything and it's all turned into just a complex, just shit show. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Abby and I talk about that all the time that the more spiritual side of things for sure. And if we jump back to metabolic health just for a minute, and you were really talking a lot about metabolic health and the immune system, what else does our, like the health of our metabolism and flexibility, what else does it affect in our bodies? Well, one thing I think of is just immune response. So the first part of your immune system, I mean, I know you guys know this, but for the listeners, the first part of your immune system is basically to me, I think of them like the Marines and this is no disrespect to Marines because I really don't know enough about the military to probably be making this comparison. But I think of the Marines as kind of coming in and like blowing shit up. I realize there's more strategy to it than that, but it's a concerted effort. They've got their airstrikes, their land strikes and their, you know, but it's a concerted effort with one agenda. And that is to stop the enemy. Right. And then we've got communication lines. We've got other sects of the military, and then we've got like special forces. So I think of our antibody response and our fancy immune response. The adaptive immune response is the special forces. And I think of the first line is not very specific, but they need to grab and stop the enemy, they need to identify and stop. Um, COVID is stealth and it just sort of bypasses a lot of that first line just by the way that it is designed, the way that it works and who knows where it came from, who cares? It doesn't matter, it's out now. So you're sort of getting the first line of your immune system 
bypassed just by the virus itself. And then most Americans, because of their metabolic health being so screwed up, it doesn't work. Their interferon response doesn't work. Their natural killer cells are not working. The things that would literally just, it was Sans is making noise, that would just ameliorate the virus in its, in its path, right? That's, I mean, I think that I think we're not going to necessarily see when people always say to me, I'm so confused. My husband had it. My child had it. I didn't get it. I never got sick. Well, you may have, and you have, may have antibodies and you just blew right through it or you, your natural killer cells took care of it. It didn't even make it into your system long enough to create a high enough viral titer for there to be any kind of long-term response. Right? So then the communication lines are screwed up in people who are metabolically unhealthy and then their special forces unit is a mess. And so by the time their special forces comes online and go about day 10 to 14 of this virus infection and says, Oh crap, we have an invader. We have a problem and they've multiplied. It throws everything it has at it. And now we have a cytokine storm. And I think a lot of that is not happening in those who are metabolically sound. That's just their, the orchestration of their immune system is much more flawless. And so people, we have such a weird society where I was thinking about this this morning, people are always like, what can I take for this? What can I take for this? And I'm like, it doesn't start with that. Like, it's nice if you want to take your berberine for your diabetic blood sugars. But the whole point is, is like to not have your blood sugars be all wacky in the first place. And that comes down to diet and lifestyle. So it's such a weird, and like the, the pharmaceutical industry and the medical system at large, the allopathic medical system so perpetuates this. Like you said earlier, when we were off camera, you know, like people just want a quick fix. They want a pill or a shot. They want something that will make it all go away, make the boogeyman go away. And that's just the boogeyman is here. The boogeyman's not leaving. It's going to continue to morph and mutate. These viruses don't tend to get kinder and gentler through time like flu viruses do. And they tend to mutate like crazy and recombine inside of the bodies of their hosts. And guess who creates variants? Bodies that allow it to linger longer. And guess where it lingers longer? Sickly inflamed bodies. I can't clear it. So people want to blame healthy people like myself who I can't get the vaccine, even if I wanted it, I don't want it, but I can't, I have ITP, which is one of the main side effects that we're seeing with this virus. It's causing people to bleed out and hemorrhage in some cases that is a known side effect. So I think it would kill me. So I'm not going to take it, but I'll take my chances with the virus. Like my insulin is super low. My inflammation, super low. My muscle mass is good. And I work really hard to make that I come from a long line of diabetics. So for me, this is very personal. And I have worked for well over a decade to make sure none of that was part of my story, you know? So I think that that's a huge piece is just the complete screw up of the immune system. And then we're blaming or villainizing potentially therapeutic drugs, but therapeutic drugs work early and they work best in immune systems that function correctly. So it's just all, that's where I say it's a shit show. It's like, we're I feel like we're just, I feel like there's a kitchen fire and it's like an oil fire and they're handling it wrong and they're throwing water on it. <laughs> you know, nice. it's like, a, it's like a grease fire and they're putting water on it. And it's getting bigger. And they're like, we don't know what's happening. Right. And I'm just like, Oh right. my God. <laughs> <laughs> wrong thing. Wrong thing. Yeah. You explained well, that really beautifully. That was great. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just like the quick fix thing, right? I have people asking me that all the time. What can I take for this? What can I take for this? And my answer is always like, forget that. Start with diet and lifestyle. Like that's 80 plus percent of it. And if you're not starting there, you're just missing the mark. Like you can't out supplement that, you know, if you're eating all carbs and processed food all day. Right. Right. Or, and you know, stressed out to the food. max. 
or soda or whatever. And, you know, we could blame who should we blame, right? Everybody wants to blame someone, but it's like, and then I, and I always hear this too. Whenever I make a post on Instagram, I hear somebody has to pop in, if not 10 people and say, oh, well, not everybody is as smart as you and not everyone has access to the information and not people, some people don't read and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? All this content is out there for free. We live in the age of information. There is audio, there is video, there is, there is so many different formats to learn from. I've worked in community clinics with the underserved. I've worked with lots of different ethnicities. I have gone to school with lots of different ethnicities. These are, we just, it's again, it's like assuming people are stupid and can't do it right when they absolutely can. I have met very impoverished black people who are awesome at water fasting and who inherently understand that certain foods are not good for them, right? Like it's so disrespectful the way this is being managed. And every time I hear a white woman come into my Instagram feed and try to give me this, you're racist bullshit. I'm like, seriously, you're being like so disrespectful to me because in my head, any human being can be empowered if they have knowledge. Maybe my delivery is not for them. Maybe I'm not the person they want to hear it from, but if they hear it enough times from enough different people, it'll start to click. And I'm simply trying to empower people with basic knowledge. I'm not trying to throw anything fancy at them. I think maybe that's why some people, you know, they want a quick fix, but it's like the most, it's so disturbing to me to see this like Uber white liberal. And I I am a liberal from Portland. (laughs) I can't diss them. Right. But like, I'm so tired of watching people disempower Oh, you have a dog too. <laughs> She's behind your chair. <laughs> They're There's all just coming in from all, yeah, all areas. It's just, we, and we kind of got caught in this loop, right? And it became this sort of societal thing. And I think that that has actually caused the death of a lot of people. I think if we just mm-hmm. all assume that all human beings could be empowered with knowledge and if right. we, if the government had just subsidized some vitamin D and some zinc and some C for everybody in a care package and like you said, what, what if we had, you know, a, a public uh, radio or public television doing a health program every morning and just got people to, t- people want to take action. My followers are not a homogenous group. My followers are very, very diverse, very diverse in age and race. It's all over the map and in size, in uh, fitness and health levels, and they can all comprehend basic information of just take better care of yourself, but somehow that's gotten politicized and villainized in this process. And it's like a tragedy. If you ask me, that's, I think it's responsible for it. Tens of thousands of deaths that didn't need to happen was just because it became so politicized. And then the mainstream media, if people are believing what the mainstream media, like if anyone believed what the news told you before this pandemic, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like (laughs) I knew in like I, well, I think like sixth or seventh grade, I was like, this is some bullshit that's on the television right now. And that's back when <laughs> journalism was still somewhat sound, you know, but I mean, it's turned into a circus. And since COVID, people right. are just locked into this fear mongering. I don't know if you guys saw the stats. I mean, I'm not trying to be political. Here. I'm very, I'm very much a moderate. I'm a, I'm a liberal conservative. I was raised by conservative parents in a very liberal town very liberal uh, profession, right? Almost socialist naturopathic medicine. And I am definitely, my fiance is like a liberal conservative. So we're very middle of the road, but that survey that came out recently where it was saying that the it was predominantly more Democrats than Republicans, but still a huge amount of people on both sides believing that if you contract the virus, it's a death sentence. 
like a huge percentage of people believe if you get if you get the virus that you are indeed going to die or end up in hospital, like in every case, it will be severe. That is such misinformation. It's terrifying misinformation. And then wild, it's not wild. And then on top of that, um, I still get that question often on Instagram. People will say, well, what, what do we do? Like they literally have been convinced that they can hide from it, that they can, they can stay inside and it will go away. And some very kind young woman wrote me a message the other day and she said, well, what do I do? So I don't have to come in. Con- I don't want to, I don't want to get it. And I'm like, that's not the conversation. Like you are going to come in contact with it. So then it's a matter of like, how will you respond to it? And whether you want to be vaccinated or not fine by me, I have no opinion either way. Um, if you're very fearful, then find the in your, uh, in the allopathic mindset, then make sure you have on board what you need, including the vaccine to protect you. If you are not of that mindset, there are other options too, but like, why aren't we hearing, isn't that called informed consent? Like, again, that word's been politicized too. If you say informed consent, you're automatically an anti-vaxxer, which I am not an anti-vaxxer. And that pisses off the health freedom community. Cause they're like, Tina doesn't hate the vaccine. and She (laughs) believes in viruses. (laughs) <laughs> so I can't win. Like I have no tribe. <laughs> can't win. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, oh, I, just, no. I, I, yeah. uh, I was on a podcast the other night and the guy was like kind of riled that I was not against the vaccine. I'm like, but I'm not, I've never been pro or anti any of it. I have always told patients like, this is a personal decision. Educate yourself. Right. Here's right. Some resources, you know, let's go. So again, going back to metabolic health, that would be my number one strategy to protect myself. That's my suit of armor. And I think that yeah. muscle mass really helps with that. Obviously a sound diet. Again, I don't care. I I'm more meat-based. If people want to be vegetarian, whatever, as long as your labs show up reasonable, that's cool. That's really what it comes down to, right? It's like, show me your lab markers. But I think that, and, and then we've got people saying, oh, but this young, healthy muscle bound person, he died, right? Cause the media makes a big deal of it. And I'm like, well, what was his metabolic health overall? What was his inflammation level? Like, what was his diet? Like, was he just genetically muscular and lifting a lot of weights and drinking a lot of Mountain Dew? How was his sleep? Sleep's a huge part of it. Right. You know, if you don't, if you don't sleep for like two nights in a row, you, you literally go into an insulin resistant state just from having your sleep screwed up. So there's so many factors. I know not everybody lives out in the country where it's quiet and dark. Like I do. I know they live in inner cities and I know that there's noise and there's kids and there's violence sometimes. And they're, they're living in noisy, dangerous places. I understand that as well. I am not the person trying to fix all the problems. I'm just the messenger, but I think the powers that be should have been the messenger from the start. And they completely missed the boat on that. Yeah, yeah sure. totally agree. So also piggybacking on the metabolic health thing, if people are listening, like, okay, I want to get my blood sugar under better control. I want to like make my t- physical terrain more resilient to the virus. Right. Cause that's what it's more about. Just like preparing your body to fight it, let alone any virus. Right. Not just the big, scary one that's out there right now. Right. Anyway, differences. Yeah. They're all out there. So how should men and women address metabolic health differently? Because I hear this as a conversation mm-hmm. all the time. And so much of the research has been like, only done on men. And, you know, there's like that whole issue. So how would you say men and women, what are the differences there? I, the big one to me would be intermittent fasting as far as differences go. And how does that tie into metabolic health? It's just basically the way I look at it is 
your body short stores, sugar resources in your liver. And then you have your quick sugar going on in your bloodstream. And if you eat all day long and you graze all day long and you don't have a feeding window that's tight and a fasting window, that's maybe a little bit longer or the same, you're never tapping into your fat stores. You're always just burning like quick kindling. You're never really burning a log. And so I think that having the opportunity to fast and that is overnight, that's why we call it break fast for the listeners. (laughs) You know, Uh, I know in the Jewish community, when they come off of religious fast, there is a break fast, you know, and that's when they have their meal together. So having that be a specific window of 12 plus hours is really beneficial to metabolic health. I think that dudes can go longer on the fast part and shorter on the feeding part. And I personally, I think I've got, I was actually doing the math on this this morning I need about a 10 or 11 hour feeding window. That's 10. Cause I mean, I had like a very, I had an eight hour feeding window yesterday and I woke up this morning and I wanted to destroy my kitchen. I wanted to eat everything. Like I was starving. So, and I woke up starving, which is not a, you know, it's a little bit of a cortisol rush. And so I think with women, we might need a longer feeding period and a little bit shorter fasting period compared to men, men, because our hormones are different. So men can, can do things a little bit longer. Men have testosterone on their side, which is really awesome for your metabolism when it's working correctly. But when you get a belly on you, that belly fat has an enzyme called aromatase, which converts your testosterone into estrogen. And then you just become a big kind of estrogen bloat cycle. And that's a mess for men. And it's a mess for women. It's, it happens to women too. And so I think having, um, and how do you fix that? You lift weights, you, I'm a big fan of keeping carbs low. I think that as we age, we all become more insulin insensitive period. I mean, it's just a given, like if you're going to hit the age of 85, I don't know about you guys, but if you run labs on your patients, I rarely, I have rarely seen someone in their eighties, even if they were bone thin that didn't have some blood sugar issues. It's just, it's like, it's an inflammaging type of thing. It happens naturally. As we age, we just become more carb intolerant and more insulin insensitive. And so we really want that insulin sensitivity. So I just tell people expect as you age to eat less carbohydrate. That's just the way it is. I'm not a huge fan of refined sugar in any capacity. Um, I'm a big fan of movement. I'm a big fan of strength training. I think that allows you a little bit more wiggle room with carbohydrates. I do think some carbohydrates are necessary to keep women's hormones healthy. And so I think those are the big differences that I think of as far as training goes, I think men and women can both lift heavy. I don't see any issue with that. And I think we do put, I think a lot of women use their hormones as an excuse. And I've been there in the, like the muck of hormonal health. So I get it. And I'm totally peri- perimenopausal. Like I have Carrie Jones on speed dial. Cause I'm always like, why do my breasts hurt right now? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, honey, you're 47, you're perimenopausal. Right. So like, right. It's, it's real. Yeah. And I, I live with it. Like no, no month is this no from month to month. It's never the same anymore. It's always like, what's going to happen this month with my hormones. So I get it, but it's still ultimately, if I think back to my patients, you know, I started practice when I was in my early thirties and I had some really incredible older women who were beautiful and healthy and strong and fit and successful. And all of them had a lot of things in common. They watched their waistline. They didn't eat a lot of refined sugar. They kept a check on their alcohol intake. They all exercised a variety of different ways, but every day was a day that there was movement. They made sure they optimized their sleep. So I think that in the men too, 
the men tended more towards strength training, weightlifting, but so did some of the women. So I don't know if there's a ton of differences that I personally can think of besides that. Um, I think we are, we're mammals. We're just fancy mammals with opposable thumbs and mammals don't eat all day long and they tend to be somewhat active and then they rest hard. That's the thing. If you look at mammals, especially migrating mammals, there's a lot of sleeping and, but when they're up, they're up and they're working and they're doing something. And so it's like food gathering work then rest, but we just are kind of in this weird, like humans are just sort of like all day long, <laughs> you know, just they work under fluorescent lights and cubicles. And it's just like all day long. Right. It's not conducive to longevity. Right. Oh, and then people wonder why they feel blah. Right. You know, I know like you literally sat all day or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. I think that's why I love my sauna so much is because I, it's shocking. You know, the heat is shocking to my system. I love it. I love getting really hot. Um, I'm trying to get into cold plunges. I've always been a big fan of the cool or cold shower at the end. Cause that's like good old school naturopathic. Isn't this so funny how much naturopathic hydro cure is coming back into style. It's so, yeah. oh yeah. It cracks me up. It's like, yeah, do like the cold plunges and then do the like, and I'm like, that's like hydrotherapy. Perfect. You're like, hello. I was listening to a very smart doctor the other day on a podcast. I won't say who, um, but he's really smart guy, but he was going on and on of all the health benefits and the immune benefits of hydrotherapy and how he had just come upon it and he couldn't believe it. And he'd done this research showing that in 1918, that's how they cured people. And that's how they, and how the people who had hydrotherapy treatments and, um, you know, all the, the whole kit and caboodle that we learned through our naturopathic training were the ones who lived and the ones who didn't and the ones who were aspirin had just been invented. So the ones who had suppressed fever with aspirin died more readily and blah, 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 on and on. And I was like, he's talking about naturopathic medicine. He's, he's going into the history. I was so excited because <laughs> it was a big podcast. And I was like, he's going to do it. He's going to say it. And he said, and if you really want to dig into the history, look at the physiotherapist, because they're really the ones who invented it. And I was like, God, what? wrong. <laughs> because wrong all nds were physiotherapists back then right like uh, i mean that's what you would have and there wasn't truly back then there wasn't truly the word naturopathic doctor they were mds who were holistic who came over from europe who kind of you know created naturopathic medicine in the states and so anyway we got no credit <laughs> <laughs> he was very excited about hot fermentations and poultices and hydro. And I was like, you go. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, I used to get made fun of in med school and we had to, we were like, we would recommend hydrotherapy and we'd like bring them in the room and we would do like the towels and, you know, I don't know, whatever. It probably wasn't like the best thing ever. People would be like, oh, this is so ridiculous. I'm like, this is so good. It's so, so good. good. You know, if you get sick, get hot. I always say that, like go cook the, or if you're feeling for the listeners out there, if you are feeling blah and you don't know where to start and you know, your metabolism screwed up and you know, you're inflamed because you hurt and you don't feel good and you're carrying extra weight around your stomach. You can't get rid of those are sure signs. Your blood pressure might be a little high. You know, your waistline might be a little thicker than you want it go cook the crap out of yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's like step yeah. number one, when my autoimmune disease flares and my spine lights up and all my pain comes roaring in, I just go cook myself. And I generally come out of it feeling much better and clearer because you're not just inducing heat shock proteins, which are awesome, but you've got a ton of other benefits involved and it, you're sweating out toxins. You're getting blood mobilized. I mean, there's, it's like basically doing 
I don't know if you guys know about phase two, uh, like cardio where they zone two, they call it where it's like a steady state cardio where you're not actually sweating. It was created by Maffetone. He was a chiropractor. Oh yeah. I um, love Maffetone. The, math- yeah, yeah, the yeah. Maffetone method. Yes. That's yes. zone two. And, uh, you're basically getting zone two inside a sauna when you're oh, cooking. Wow. Yeah. So I don't have cool. to do that like hour on the treadmill crap that I hate. <laughs> I just, I have a treadmill. I hate using it. I'm like, I just do my zone too every day in there. So there's just a lot of benefits to getting hot. And there's, you know, I mean, um, gosh, there's small portable units people can use. There's blankets you can lay down inside of that'll cook you and give you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot that people, or you can go take a hot bath, you know, just go roast yourself a little in a hot bath, but there's so much people can do to keep their health up and keep their immune system up. And it all, it, all of that comes back to really modulating insulin resistance and bringing you back into a more metabolically sound baseline sauna does it. So, you know, walking regularly every day, you don't have to go out and like become a world-class champion of fitness and health. You just have to like put the sugar down, go for a walk and then can make a concerted effort to do something every day to stoke your metabolism and your immune system. Yeah, no, that's so good. There's so many things you listed that like they can do and also some things they can remove. So that's awesome. So what are some further resources that our listeners can go to if they'd like to do like a deeper dive? You mentioned your podcast, so definitely say the name of that and then whatever, whatever else comes to mind. I have a podcast called the Dr. Tina show. I actually have an old podcast too, that has over a hundred episodes that I'm not, my producers of my podcast don't want me to talk about, but it's called pain-free and strong. And there's a ton of content there. And if you actually nice. go, to, go to the last several, I mean, hundred something episodes before I shut it down. If you go to the last few episodes, it's all COVID related. Cause it was right at the onset of this pandemic. And I've got some great interviews in there with different guests. Um, I've got a book that is free that I would love for the audience to download. It's called pain-free and strong as well forget the name. It literally could be like the survive COVID manual because it's just the six uh, pillars of health. I mean, straight up, like from mindset to strength training and movement, there's a chapter on nutrition. There's a chapter on your gut health, your hormones, meditation and mindfulness. It's all referenced. So I, I wrote it in 2017. It's a really nice, easy, quick resource for people. It's older folks can read it. Teenagers can read it. It's like, it'll take you a night to gobble it up. And it's just, if you like the style I talk in, it's very much that kind of in your face, uh, not sugarcoating it. And then follow me on Instagram, which is where I'm trying to just create a collection of good knowledge base. It's not super organized, but I really am. I have a couple different accounts there. You can just go to Dr. Tina, D-R-T-Y-N-A, find me there. And then you'll find my other accounts. But that's really it for me right now. I haven't really branched out into blogs or website or any of that because I'm trying to keep it. That's next, (laughs) but trying to keep it simple for everyone, because I know that this is overwhelming. And I realize that a lot of people haven't considered that their health is compromised until this pandemic hit. And I know that there's a paralyzing feeling that can happen for a lot of people when they're like, oh, my God, I don't know where to start. This is all too much. So start with a book, start with my podcast and, you know, podcasts like this, there's so much information out there. When you start hearing the same thing over and over and over again from different people, take note of those concepts and then go look further, right? Go do some research for yourself because I really believe if people can't own a baseline of nutrition and a baseline of physiology, they can't really take control of their health very well. And if you're one of the few of us who are not vaccinated, 
Um, I think things are going to get real dicey in the hospital systems. And so being healthy and staying away from needing urgent care is probably my goal right now. You know, I'm just trying to keep us all healthy and needles out of our arms. So. Right. Well, and that's where it's, you know, it all comes down to education, right? If people don't understand, like you're saying the basics of health, why it's important, what you can do, it does become very confusing. You can go to a health food store and like, oh my gosh, and whole foods, where do you start on the shelf? You know? So it's like, start learning first from different people and all these resources and then do what makes sense for you. Um, is so important. And like, that's why we started this podcast. Cause we're like, we only have so many minutes with our patients on our tables. Right. So we wanted to create a resource where someone wants to learn about metabolic health. Here you go. We have an hour on it, you know, it's awesome. Some great resources. So we so appreciate you coming on yeah. um, and sharing your time with us. This is so valuable. I am so happy to connect. I hope I, I hope I gave enough info there. I know there's so much more, but, but you gave a ton. You definitely <laughs> did. <laughs> It's just yeah, rather, like Tina, you didn't share enough. <laughs> yeah. It's I like, yeah. And, yeah, it's a, it's a rabbit <laughs> hole. I know for people. So I want to make sure just not to overwhelm them. Cause I know overwhelm there's, I'll teach you guys something that I learned a long time ago and I, I am guilty of it myself. And maybe you already know this, but less is always more, right? So yeah. you, you give somebody too much and they become paralyzed. So yeah, simple is better, but that's the great thing about podcasts. So you can take notes, you can pause it, you can listen to it again and again. So yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Our alley. Well, thanks so much yeah, for having me on. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you. Yeah. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by the site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.